Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Boston. We are a spiritual community who welcome all people of goodwill and try to support each other on our many and varied paths to become better people. We extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. We're glad you're here. Please join me in saying the words with which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning comes from Kathleen McTeague. We come together this morning to remind one another to rest for a moment on the forming edge of our lives, to resist the headlong tumble into the next moment until we claim for ourselves awareness and gratitude, taking the time to look into one another's faces and see their communion, the reflection of our own eyes. This house of laughter and silence, memory and hope, is hallowed by our presence here together. And I welcome you all this morning. We gather here every week and sometimes during the week, if the occasion calls for it, to do great things and to be great people. And we strive toward both. And we do it because we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading today is by Christopher Buse. He says, when I was a religious, a director of religious education, I took a Sunday school class to visit a local Hindu temple. There was a statue on an altar of a god with many hands. The god's arms were outstretched in all directions like the rays of a sun, and the hands were open stretching to make contact with all who might need divine touch. Many hands reaching out to those in need. On another occasion, I saw many hands working to stock the shelves of a food pantry. These were young hands, human hands. The church youth had volunteered to work on this project to benefit the hungry in our community. Some sorted the food, others packed grocery bags, A few took the loaded to a specified area. Finally, we formed a column and we passed groceries down the line, out of the building, and into the back of a large truck. When the task was complete, we all waved as the truck drove off. There was laughter and relaxation. We had done our job. Now the task lay in other hands. When I became the minister of a church... I saw many hands working to rebuild Rice Chapel in Buffalo, South Carolina. All these hands working to reconstruct this African-American church that had been burned down by a white arsonist. White hands, black hands, brown hands. Hands of many colors doing the work of healing and restoration. It was a powerful experience. There's lots of work that needs to be done in the world more than any of us can do alone. That's why it's such a blessing to join together with others to achieve a worthy goal. St. Teresa once observed, On earth, 
God has no hands but our hands to do the work of healing. Therefore, it's good for us to band together to complete a challenging task. After all, it takes many hands to do the work of God. In our beautiful sanctuary, we have many candles along our wall of windows. These candles can be candles of joy, of sorrow, of, of memories, of hope. We light these candles as we feel called to do so during our time of musical meditation in an effort to send these joys, sorrows, things we celebrate and grieve together into the air so that they may become the stuff of our very breath, and we may join you in celebrating and grieving and remembering and hoping. But now I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation, spirit of life and of love and laughter, God of many names who uses many hands. Be with us as we celebrate this day together. We give our sincerest gratitude for all that is our lives and for the opportunities to serve this world in the ways that we can. We hold in our hearts and we will take into our hands those who are suffering, are hungry, sick, ill at ease, or feel unsafe, both among us and throughout our world, especially those right now who are living amidst the agony of war. We lift up these as well as the silent prayers of our hearts, the joys and concerns we walked in with today, together in this moment of sacred silence. In 2011, I went before the MFC, the Ministerial Fellowship Committee, for those of you who do not know, the MFC, the Ministerial Fellowship Committee, is the ministerial credentialing body of the Unitarian Universalist Association, and it's made up of a combination of dedicated lay people and ministers. And I happily and nervously cleared this final hurdle that I had to jump before I may be ordained, unscathed but for some additional homework assigned. The paperwork required to complete a candidate's file just before you can even get a, uh, an appointment with them is, is no small matter. Uh, and it is quite daunting. <laughs> it can feel very much like the bearing of one's soul. And I thought I would never, ever be done with it by the deadline. In addition to asking you to document practically everything you've ever read or done, and that's not too much of an exaggeration, they ask questions like this. What is the theological call, context, excuse me, the theological context of your call to Unitarian Universalist ministry? Refer to at least one theologian, one personal experience, and one sacred text in 2,000 words or less. <laughs> 2,000 words or less to answer such a question. I can tell you that it feels like a little something, like trying to shove a hippo into a miniskirt. During that time I was working on these such essays, 
I remember seeing a teaser for the most recent Muppet movie, and I was reminded of how much I really do love the Muppets and their creator, Jim Henson. I remembered, and perhaps I'm not alone, how much his message of optimism, of belief in oneself and others, carried out through his fuzzy characters, has taught and sustained me. As Unitarian Universalists, we draw from many sources, one being the words and deeds of prophetic women and men, which challenge us to confront the powers of, and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. That's what having a prophetic voice means to us. To lovingly challenge others to work against the awful parts of our world with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. So this understanding of what it means to be prophetic tells me two things. One, that with enough courage of heart, we could all raise a prophetic voice when the occasion calls for it. And two, if Jim Henson's name were in the dictionary, those words, justice, compassion, and love, would probably be next to his name. So he's probably one of those prophetic voices. Through humor, song, and felt-covered animals, Henson directed us to the awe and wonder of this beautiful world and its inhabitants, encouraging us to do right by others and ourselves through creativity. His legacy, through the medium of film, continues to do so for younger generations. The genius of his prophetic voice was so that we learn these lessons accidentally, so to speak, while laughing at the distractions of a Swedish chef. I do a mean Swedish chef, by the way. <laughs> a grouch in a garbage can, or gonzo being fired out of a cannon. In particular, Kermit T. Frog's song, The Rainbow Connection, has always just gotten to me. Though it didn't make it into my essay, perhaps if I'd had more than 2,000 words to work with, the lyrics, they so encompass my theology and my call to this Unitarian Universalist ministry that for a moment I entertained the thought of simply reading them out to you today, following them with an amen or a may it be so and calling it a day. But then I thought it might be wiser to simply use the song as my text, so to speak, and to say perhaps a bit more. The idea that this beautiful world in which we live, of which we attempt to make meaning of its wonders, can inspire us and connect us and teach us to dream, to become who, as Kermit says, we're supposed to be. It's such a powerful message at any age. The body of Jim Henson's work, Sesame Street, the Muppet franchise, shows like Fraggle Rock and movies like The Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal, they all have this message in common. Henson believed and teaches us to as well that we each are here for a purpose. And that purpose, when guided by love and determination, will serve to connect us each to each. He once said in an interview, 
I believe in taking a positive attitude toward the world, toward people, toward my work. I think I'm here for a purpose. It's, I think it's likely that we all are, but I'm only sure about myself, he said. I try to tune myself into whatever I'm supposed to be and try to think of myself as a part of all of us, all humankind and all life. I find it's not easy to keep these lofty thoughts in my mind as the day goes by, but it certainly helps me a great deal to start out this way. Those who knew him described Henson as a gentle, kind soul. Many said that Henson based the character of Kermit on himself, which he never admitted or denied. Deeply spiritual and fiercely optimistic, Henson explained, I spend a few minutes in meditation and prayer each morning. I find that this really helps me to start the day with a good frame of reference. As part of my prayers, I thank whoever is helping me. I'm sure that somebody or something is. And I express gratitude for all my blessings and try to forgive the people that I'm feeling negative toward. I try hard not to judge anyone. I try to bless everyone who's part of my life, particularly anyone with whom I'm having any problems. He says, I've always tried to present a positive view of the world in my work. It's so much easier to be negative and cynical and predict doom for the world than it is to try and figure out how to make things better. He says, we have an obligation to do the latter. Gratitude, reverence, grace, optimism, dedication. Do we ever come to a point in our lives in which we cease to be in need of such lessons? When I hear Rainbow Connection these days, the last verse in particular reminds me of my call to ministry. I wasn't having auditory hallucinations or anything, but I did hear voices calling my name too many times to ignore them. These voices were those of the people who have challenged and encouraged me along this path. Friends, professors, mentors, congregants, Many in this congregation could count yourselves among them. This path is one that does require much gratitude, reverence, grace, optimism, and dedication. But ministers are not the only ones who are called. We all are called to live into our potential, to be our best selves, to act in accordance with the reality of our interconnectedness, to dream big. We each have our part to play, and no part is too small. And we take heed of that still, small voice, whether we believe it's sourced to be God or our soul's yearnings or the universe beckoning or all of the above. We not only grow more fully into our own potential, our own humanity, our own individualism, but we may experience the richness of this interdependent web of life of which we are a part. We, especially as religious liberals, often place so much emphasis on our individuality, and that's important. We guard and we uh, protect autonomy and often juxtapose individuality with interconnectedness. 
But as UU theologian William R. Murray writes in his book, Reason and Reverence, Religious Humanism for the 21st Century, he says the human being is a social animal. We become individual selves and develop those qualities that belong to our humanness only in relationships, first in the family, then through associations with larger groups. We may feel like we're separate and distinct individuals. We may often act like we're separate and distinct individuals, but we are not. We are interdependent and interrelated. He goes on, we need to reaffirm the value of human community, especially communities that work and act together for the common good. We need to proclaim that individualism and community are not opposites. Rather, they complement one another in that we become individual selves through our relationships with others. Jim Henson exemplified someone who lived this truth. He said, if you care about what you do, you work hard at it, there isn't anything you can't do if you want to. And when I was young, my ambition was to be one of those people who made a difference in this world. My hope is to leave the world a little better for having been there. And I know I drive some people crazy with what seems like ridiculous optimism, but it has always worked for me. Well, the truth is, Jim Henson does speak from a certain amount of privilege, as the fact is, optimism and perseverance are not always enough. Systems of oppression, poverty, hunger, lack of education, etc., etc., may prevent or make difficult the ability for someone to realize the full potential of their gifts, their true calling. Sadly, tenacity does not always win, especially when the starting lines and the finish lines are so set differently for so many of us. But as Ray Charles once wrote of another one of Jim Henson's songs for Kermit, says, the words say it's not easy being green, but the song is about knowing who you are. And in it, you hear Jim's message most clearly, Ray Charles said. He says, he believed that people are good and that they want to do their best, no matter how or why we might be different from anyone else. We should learn to love who we are and be proud of it. So because a frog with his skinny little green legs can ride a bicycle, or fall in love with an overbearing pig, or play the banjo, and sing about sophisticated virtues and aspirations, we are able to believe that no matter our circumstance or our limitations, we can leave this world a better place than we found it. We are able to dream of being and doing our best selves. And in doing so, we're able to lift up others along the way, working in solidarity. The late, great William Sloan Coffin, liberal Christian minister and peace activist, was reputed to have said of us Unitarian Universalists that we have such a thick ethic and such a thin theology. I disagree. 
As we draw from such diverse sources, such as the prophetic voice of Jim Henson, I believe that we are perhaps uniquely poised to listen to the words of a banjo-playing frog as truly divine wisdom. UU minister and president of UU Seminary, Star King School for the Ministry, Rebecca Ann Parker, wrote the following, titled simply Benediction, with a similar theological conviction as Henson and his characters, that we are co-creators of this world. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse this world. The mind's power, the strength of the hands, the reaches of the heart, the gift of speaking, listening, imagining, seeing, waiting. Any of these can serve to feed the hungry, bind up wounds, welcome the stranger, praise what is sacred, do the work of justice or offer love. Any of these can also draw down the prison door, hoard bread, abandon the poor, obscure what is holy, comply with injustice or withhold love. You must answer this question. What will you do with your gifts? Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will moving forward into the world with the intention to do good. It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. There's an embrace of the kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice, anesthetization, or evil, there moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting that which is sacred will not be defiled. Those who bless the world live their life as a gesture of thanks for this beauty and this rage. The choice to bless the world can take you into solitude to search the sources of power and grace, native wisdom, healing, and liberation. More, the choice will draw you into community. The endeavor shared, the heritage passed on, the companionship of struggle, the importance of keeping faith the life of ritual and praise, the comfort of human friendship, the company of the earth, its chorus of life welcoming you. None of us can save the world alone, together. That is another possibility, waiting. I will leave you with the final words of the Muppet movie that the cast of characters sang directly to the audience breaking that fourth wall, as they say, in a reprise of The Rainbow Connection. I won't sing it, <laughs> but they sing. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? That's part of what rainbows do. Rainbows are memories, sweet dream reminders. What is it you'd like to do? All of us watching, wishing we'd find it, I've noticed you're watching too. Someday you'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and you.
Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. We've done just what we've set out to do. Thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and you. Amen, and may it be so. The words for the offertory come from Judith Meyer. We give thanks for those moments when we can feel that we live in a world that is not indifferent to our need. We all have so many needs, a thousand prayers, a thousand needs, that really only need one answer. Let the world not be indifferent. And may we live and be with each other in the way that shows this truth, whatever the day brings, that neither are we indifferent to each other. May we show our caring in this morning's gifts. Morning offering will be gratefully received. Please join me in saying the words with which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Go in peace to believe, to dream, to pretend, to create, and most importantly, to bless this world. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.